1: So this episode, guys, was so powerful. We actually before we got on with Amanda, we didn't know where this was gonna go.
0: Yeah. I feel like we <laughs> were like, there's so many things yeah. we could talk to Amanda about. Yeah. But that's the
1: beauty of what we do too. Like part of us, even though we're interviewing people, of course we have them send us like, you know, little blurbs ahead of time and we know who we're interviewing and we do a little research, but even like how I approach my sessions with clients, I'm also trying to leave so much space for the psyche, right? Like so much space for the psyche to take us where it wants to take us because those are always the most rich, I feel, uh, conversations. And sure enough, this was exactly the kind of conversation that I wanted to have, that I needed to have. I'm like fired up about it after the fact. I'm going to go research her work more, you know, all the things.
0: Yeah, she's really such a gift and a powerhouse. And I feel like we touched on so many topics, you know, um, parenting, relationships between parents, the masculine and feminine, co-parenting, and um, just sort of living your truth and how to get still with yourself when we're in emotional overwhelm and how to allow for all of the emotions, to right. so and many really things. Right, and really
1: concrete tools too, which I always appreciate the left brain of me does, you know, like concrete tools to be able to in a heightened moment, especially with your kids, um, how to bring yourself back down and kind of pull from your highest self rather than kind of the lower self that we tend to function from when we're really activated.
0: Yeah, and I love how she sort of spoke to things in a way that both of us were like, "Oh, we've never heard anyone describe right. it that way, but that's so powerful." And I think whenever someone gives you tools and delivers them in that way, then they sort of stick with you. They stick,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So as you can tell, we were excited about this guest. So I hope we you guys loved it. it. <laughs> Today, we have Amanda Ashby with us, and we are so excited for this conversation. Mm -hmm. So Amanda is a clinical nutritionist, a mindfulness teacher, and a yoga teacher for children and families. And outside of the clinic, she teaches social emotional well-being in the school system and works as a consultant supporting schools to develop their well-being curriculum. She also works with her life partner and business partner, Rachel, empowering busy modern moms to find connection, purpose, self-worth, and calm. She has two young girls, and she also co-parents with their father. She's currently looking forward to the summer break in the UK when she can focus on filming an online social-emotional well-being course for children so needed, teaching the foundations of mindfulness through fun and creative activities and exercises. Hmm. Thank you for being here, Amanda.
0: Thank you for for having me. Yeah. I feel like Amanda to me is one of those examples of what is so powerful about social media connections because I sort of got connected to you, Amanda, through social media and, you know, just looking through and reading through your content before I think we even connected, I was so like, oh yeah, you know, she's one of those people who like, I think Vanessa and John often say like speaks the language. She just like gets it. You can tell that's like a kindred spirit in the way that you speak. And just so moved by so much of your writing and the way you talk about so many of the struggles that we go through as mamas and women and humans. And um, I'm just so excited to have you join us. And I'd love, like, Vanessa and I were talking, like, there's so many different angles we could sort of go with the conversation with you. Such a vast, you know, array of wisdom. And so I guess let's just start a little bit with, like, how you came to the place of doing the work that you do and where you are right now with, like, the type of work you do in the world. I sort of like
2: many people um, you you know self the self the inner work it it sort mm. of happens when you bottom out right mm-hmm. um, so i had I had my bottom moment about um, four years ago, and that 's what led me to go inward
1: mm-hmm. um, because i 'd
2: been looking outward for answers for decades, and um, i just I was never able to find anything to fill the void, although I felt generally happy and content in my life. You never know where you're at, um, Mm. you know, on a scale of one to 10 with your happiness until you Mm. reflect and you can see I was actually really struggling. So yeah, I I had my bottom moment about four years ago with um, addiction that led me down the path of mindfulness, meditation, and yoga. Mm -hmm. And being a a clinical nutritionist already, working with children and families, modifying behavior patterns through diet and lifestyle, I thought, well, the work was so powerful in my life that I wanted to bring it into my, my career, my clinic, because you can do a lot with diet and lifestyle, right? You can You can work with the gut microbiome, which, you know, the gut-brain axis is so important. Mm -hmm. You can work with the nervous system and neurotransmitters. But bringing in that element of mindfulness, meditation, and yoga was, Mm -hmm. it just seemed like the missing link. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how I ended up where I am now, which is teaching children and working with families and supporting busy modern moms. And then also I thought to have a bigger impact at the moment, I wanted to get into the school system.
1: Mm.
2: So that it's just been the most incredibly fulfilling journey to watch these children just absorb the information, respond so mm. positively and quickly. It's just the most rewarding thing.
1: Mm. What about in your home life? Like, I mean, I imagine, cause four years is, it's a long time and yet not a long time to so you're, you're still on that cusp of being able to see like this is how I showed up and this is how my children and I, our relationship was versus now, this is how I show up, this is how our relationship is with all of your new tools. And I guess what's that been like for you to kind of integrate that into your family as well as others?
2: Yeah, I think the most important thing with my practice in, in this journey has been present moment awareness. Mm-hmm. So um, because I was As a parent, I think trying to do the extreme opposite of how I was parented, Mm -hmm. I think I went too far um, to the other side. Mm -hmm. So this practice has given me that awareness of the path I was walking down and and just being able to pull it back in to have a bit more balance. Mm -hmm. So I was probably parenting how I needed or wanted to be parented rather than how they need me to show up in their lives. Mm, That's profound.
1: That's been- A lot of us do that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah yeah and um and it felt good you know and in, in certain moments but I don't think that's exactly how they needed me to show up for them so I'm still working on that I'm still working it's a daily learning experience hmm. and some days are better than others obviously as a parent we all know that for all of us
0: <laughs> parents <right? laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like you said something that I felt so struck by about, you know, in the context of this moment that we're in right now, which was that I was sort of like in my life feeling like things were going along well enough, they were fine enough. And it wasn't until I sort of had a moment of sort of bottoming out that I realized there's some things I want to sort of shift and um and maybe look at a little bit differently, and I think that's happening for so many people, right? Like we've just sort of been on autopilot, we've sort of been living life, and it's been like life is good enough, but now we're in this like forced collective pause where we're having no option but to sit with ourselves, and I think it's bringing up a lot for a lot of people
2: yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that this unease or this sort of unhappiness that's the moment mm-hmm. when we can either choose to get really conscious, or we choose to go more unconscious. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think people are making one of the two choices. And it's really exciting to see, you know, we've gotten clients come our way because what you said, Danae, you know, they've had this time to sit with their thoughts Mm -hmm. and to have a bit more clarity around what isn't working for them. And so they're making the choice to be more conscious and they're making a choice to make a change. And some people unfortunately haven't come to that yet for whatever reason, you know, we all come to, to the work when, when we're ready Mm. and that, that I see a lot of suffering as well out there still.
0: Yeah. I love how you sort of described, you know, we can go one of two ways. We can continue mm-hmm. to sort of avoid or numb or not stay present with the discomfort, or we can really sort of lean into the space of, okay, let me start to feel all the feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, you are both sober women. I feel like that's something that certainly we've connected on. And I often think that that is one of the superpowers about, you know, in the space of sobriety is that you really have no release valve. You have no mm-hmm. option, but to feel all the discomfort right it's like I have to learn to feel feelings <laughs> I have no choice
2: and it, it happens all the time those feelings like you you know even with all of the tools that I have in my toolkit with mindfulness meditation a really loving and supportive and conscious partner I still have moments where the anxiety just starts fluttering in my chest you know and mm. it's always going to be there unless we make those daily choices to take the edge off or mm. to numb it.
1: Well, and I think it's also interesting. So this, what we're talking about right now is bringing up for me. I, I did a post the other day and I've had a lot of people commenting on this idea of, um, happiness and so what you were saying right it's like people are choosing these two paths I continually like to say over and over again to people that this idea that happiness is some kind of destination Mm. is so hurtful to us and you know even what you were saying about the anxiety is going to keep being there I would actually even say that even with all the tools and even with the choice to be conscious the happiness or the the anxiety is still going to be there right and so for us it's more about you do the work not because you're you're going after this false destination that is happy um, or this false destination that is zero anxiety because guess what, guys? We're human beings. You're going to feel anxiety. There's no solve for that. Mm -hmm. It's more about sitting with it and building your resiliency for it so that you know that you can stand in that fire and come out okay on the other side right? and develop more and more resiliency as you go, I guess.
2: Yeah. And it took me, it actually took me a little while to realize that because mm-hmm. I guess the idea, like you say, is you do the work, you know, I'm sober, I'm clear, I'm strong. I have so much clarity. And why am I anxious right now? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, And I guess that's part of figuring it all out. It's just a message, right? Mm-hmm. Anxiety, it's right. It's just a message about mm-hmm. something that is going to happen or something that you're, you're not quite certain about and Mm. it's just sending you a message to Mm -hmm. to get a little a little bit more clear with your thoughts and feelings and Mm -hmm. it can be overpowering and I think that's when we need further support and that's when you guys can come in and really do your work to to help people understand their situation their thoughts and their feelings Mm -hmm. but I think generally just as a the human population it it's always going to show up nothing Mm -hmm. we can do to stop that Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and I think you know it's really damaging to us the messaging that we receive so early that that we should be attempting to stop any of our emotions any of our feelings to your point these feelings are information I think a lot of the work that Vanessa and I do is sort of can we meet whatever's coming up with curiosity versus what we have been sort of conditioned to believe which is like we got to shut it down we got to take something make that go away like unpleasant feeling um Those ones aren't acceptable. We only want the happy. We only want the feelings that we sort of put on a pedestal as the feelings that should be felt. Worry, anxiety, fear. Like those aren't feelings we want to ever have, but those are part of the full spectrum of what it means to be human, right? Like what it means to be alive. And so I think it really can be helpful to shift the idea that there are any feelings that we shouldn't be feeling. Like all Mm -hmm. of them should be welcome.
2: I feel like that's where we can really learn about ourselves as well. Like for example, earlier in the week... Uh, Rachel and I we we had our anniversary. <laughs> we went we went away for two nights and everything is starting to slowly open up here in the UK and so it was one of the second day that um, pubs opened up. We rented this little cabin and it didn't have any cooking facilities even though we didn't realize, but we brought, we were going to make a, a vegan lasagna and mm-hmm. the guy showed us around. He was like, no stove. And we were like, okay. So <laughs> we had to go to a pub and, and also the Wi-Fi was terrible and it was the first time we'd been away. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. And we were at the pub, you know, surrounded by people drinking and I'm sober and standing at, at the bar ordering our food. And, and I could feel like my anxiety ramping up, um, mm-hmm. just a, But then there were all of these other elements. And so we sat down and and I shared with her how I was feeling. And and I said, it could be like one of three things, or it could be all of these three things. And it's just what you said, bringing curiosity, investigating Mm -hmm. that moment and digging a bit deeper and learning Mm -hmm. about yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Those, I mean, we're... On a screen where we can see each other, right now we're we're doing a Zoom session. But your face lights up when you talk about <laughs> Rachel. I mean, yeah, it's it so beautiful. <laughs> so, uh, I'd love if you would tell us a little bit of the story um, about. I know you were married to your children's father, and will you tell us a little bit of the story of you know how you met Rachel and how all of that came about in your life? Yes, I will. So my ex, Darren, he's a, he's a great man,
2: mm-hmm. um, and we met when we were young and we were living in LA. Um, He's an, he's an actor and I used to work in television and we came together really quickly and made choices and it all kind of felt right in the moment. Like something was obviously right because we decided to get married, moved to London, but we always said in our relationship that we were never able to have that moment where you sit down and go like, ah, right. Mm. Even, Mm. Even from the very beginning. So we stuck with it. Obviously we were meant to have our children and then children, you know, if you don't have a strong foundation, they can really Mm -hmm. damage a relationship. They just show Mm -hmm. all of the cracks, I think. And so we, we, you know, we just got really honest with ourselves and with each other. And we said, okay, we've tried for 14 years. Let's, let's try another way. Mm -hmm. And so we, we knew that we had a strong friendship. But the marriage, like the romantic element, it just wasn't working for us anymore. So dissolving the marriage, just admitting that allowed us to to start to breathe, right? Mm -hmm. We were able to exhale. And sort of at that time, I was quite early into my sobriety. And um, well, I was about, yeah, nine months in. I'd known Rachel through work. And we just, we we had a really strong friendship. And it just started to grow into something more that, Upon reflection, it was growing for a while, but we just didn't know it because neither one of us had really ever been in a same sex relationship.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so, yeah, we just, I, I just, we were talking one night and I said, I totally have a crush on you. And she kind of had to sit with that for a bit. And then she sort of came back and said, Yeah, me too. And that was the beginning. You know, we just, it was so scary. All of these ideas of, you know, I, well, I'm a heterosexual woman. I, I was married. I have two children. I can't be falling in love with a woman. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. But who's, who, who puts those rules in our mm-hmm. lives? Like, where do That's... those rules come from? So, yeah, we just, we, we stepped in to the, to the, we dove straight in to the water. And it's been the most amazing relationship Mm -hmm. it's supporting, loving, nurturing. We have, I mean, obviously we have our difficult moments, we have challenges, but those challenges, they don't activate us. Like Mm -hmm. we, we get really conscious about it and Mm -hmm. we sit down and I don't know if it's a woman thing. I don't, I don't know if it's a twin flame thing, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah. So here we are and we're doing this life together.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. Right before we got on, Danae and I were having a conversation about, um, it's actually funny. I mean, we were talking about the whole Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith thing that's going on right now. Have you seen this story? Um, well, I,
2: I saw a little bit about it. It Please fill me in. Yeah, I mean, to the top <laughs> line, Danae,
1: but basically, you know. Just
0: basically, hopefully. they were, you know, like the short short version of it. It sounds like four years ago they separated for a while. And um, you know, someone that Jada had a relationship with while they were separated came forward and said, I had this relationship, you know, and they sort of sat down for their show Red Table Talk to say, like, here's the truth of what happened. And people are losing their minds. <laughs> like they are like all of these memes. People are so like, can you believe Jada's out here punking Will? Like this is just like on a break, like Rachel and Ross. Like people are, it's just hilarious to sort of see the reaction has been so strong to them speaking about what happens after you know like they've been together 25 years in marriage yeah and like we
1: were having this conversation about just kind of what you said like who puts those ideas in our head about what it's supposed to or not supposed to look like right and why is it that like you were saying people are losing their minds right it's like we are served up this fairy tale idea of what a relationship should look like, right? It should be between two heterosexual people. It should be happily ever after. You should be with each other until death do us part. You should be happy the whole time, right? There should never be any fighting. It's like this whole ridiculous notion that we're fed from such a young age and I think it's a breath of fresh air when I hear people who like you have maybe not bucked the system in like, you know, you were purposely kind of driving to do that. But this, I, just stepping into, no, this feels right for me. I'm going to explore this and I'm going to be okay mm-hmm. with what I've chosen in my life, even if it doesn't look like what people would be comfortable with it looking like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah I think of relationships they're meant to grow and evolve and if two people are in a relationship and they can't grow and evolve together then where are they going mm-hmm. right so maybe that was that was what they needed maybe this this sort of quick relationship or moment that Jada had with someone else helped her grow and evolve as a person and he had his experience and he was growing and evolving as a person and then they came back together I guess right. I don't know but I think that's where we need to look at our relationships. Are we growing and evolving together? Mm-hmm. And if one, if you're not, then someone is stunted, right? Because yes. if we stop growing, then we're stagnant. And yes. and and where are we going,
0: right? Yeah. And I, I love how you sort of speak to that evolution can look like so many different things. You know, um, I was leading a a facilitating a group this week where we were sort of talking about one of my favorite teachers, Esther Perel, talks about how if you are married or in partnership with someone, you will be with hopefully four to five different people within the context of that partnership throughout a lifetime because we are meant to change. We are meant to evolve. We are meant to continue to shift as our autonomous selves. And what gets us in trouble a lot of times is not allowing for that, feeling like there's something wrong if however that takes shape, you know, I love you sort of talking about that, you know, sometimes children bring about these cracks in our relationships that, you know, we, people a lot of times aren't honest about, like, this doesn't feel authentic to me anymore. We are really sort of making ourselves and one another miserable, but we've, (laughs) we're in the, till death do we part, so we're going to like dig our heels in and stay in this. And it's like, I mean, absolutely, that's a choice but there might be other choices too. And can we allow those to be valid options as well?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's being curious.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, when, when children come along, you, you, you have to shift that relationship from a loving romantic relationship to, it almost has to become a business partnership. Yes. And I think that people, we need to sit people down and explain this to them. It's like, um, okay, who's, who's going to be the CEO Mm. and who's going to delegate to the team members? Because if you don't approach it like that, men are really good at understanding this, right? They're really good at understanding the elements of a business relationship. Mm. Um, and, and I think if, if maybe if we start to bring that really unsexy element into our romantic relationship, maybe it could save some people if they are meant to be on that long term journey and grow and evolve together you know just approaching it more like a business contract okay on this day this day this day you do this these tasks you are in charge of this i'll handle this and this and this you know otherwise the mom the woman just mm. well, she carries the entire domestic mental load right which builds resentment and frustration right. and and then you don't want to be loving or sexual with anyone who you're <laughs> re- resenting and frustrated with. So then what are you left with? Mm. Nothing.
1: Well, and you use such a great word. I was reading your write-up, obviously, that you sent us before. and You, you actually said domestic CEO. And it was funny because as I was reading it, I was sitting on the couch and I actually read that to my partner. And I was like, I love this term because... Mm. It, it actually, you're right. I mean, there is nothing sexy about saying, hey, there's this business aspect to it, but let's stop pretending that that's not a component. Because maybe if we get real about there is this section of our relationship that now is very business specific, then we don't have to uh, maybe falsely believe that that is our entire relationship. Because I actually think what happens, and I've seen this with clients, is that's the reality that we all experience, especially in the beginning. And then all of a sudden there's fear that, oh no, everything has changed in our relationship. I'm not attracted, um, you know, we're exhausted, we're not having sex. And then all of a sudden they're terrified that poof, our relationship has changed. And it's like, well, maybe, again, going back to curiosity. What I've heard from other parents has been, look at the first two years of your relationship when the child comes into play, There's bookends around the first two years of of having children and it's going to be hard and some of it's going to be shitty and you guys might fight a lot and whatever, but if you can look at those two years with bookends and you can get through it onto the other side, it could actually get better than it was, but you've got to get through those two years and not Mm. expect those two years to be anything other than the reality that they're going to be, which is what you're saying.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was I, I was listening to one of your um, other podcasts where um, Vanessa, you were telling a story about how you were upstairs feeding your baby and you were starving and you couldn't get your baby down and you come downstairs and your husband, he was, exercising right and um, <laughs> and and i i, I just so empathize with you because we've, we've all been there right but
1: we've men so been there.
2: they have no problem finding mm. their main time, mm-hmm. right so he he was just taking care of himself right and and god bless like, him <laughs> yeah right and and this is what women need to do right we need to take care of ourselves just like men do and men need to start to take care i think a little bit more of the mental load, just like women do. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm so curious to actually talk to you about this more, Amanda, and get your perspective, because I think if there were one thing I talk most, and I have, for whatever reason, a lot of the clients that um, I work with end up being mothers, and most of what they struggle with is sort of what you're speaking to. I carry so much more of the emotional load. Mm -hmm. I carry so much of the, like in my head, I am constantly mentally working through like what needs to be done, what needs to go be gone over. And my partner, he doesn't have that. He's just like, he's solid. He's good. He's not worried about all of this. And it breeds so much resentment Mm -hmm. within me that I feel like I'm losing my mind. And I, of absolutely relate to it, but I don't know. Like, how do we? How do we get our um our brothers to sort of step into the space? Like, is that even possible? Is it? Is this just what it means to is be? Is it
1: a gendered thing? Which I hate to say, but maybe that is a question. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe.
2: I, I think that women have, you know, the the whole delicate masculine feminine balance within us all, and and not meaning gender, meaning energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that maybe men aren't tapping into their feminine qualities, their energetic feminine qualities. And oh, women, we've, we've totally adopted way too many masculine qualities.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I think it's just looking at that. And so the, when we do work with our clients, um, local lab, that's our business, we sort of are underlying um, kind of what, what we look at as the root cause -hmm. Is energetics right? Are they too masculine? Do they have enough feminine? How do we bring that into balance, the yin yang? That's one thing that we always look at because when you start to do that work around that energy, are they too much fire or you know too much water? Mm -hmm. Then you you kind of can allow them to come into more balance. And I think there's too much masculinity Mm -hmm. altogether Mm -hmm. in the world and in relationships. Maybe if we start to allow our men to be a bit more energetically feminine and women to not be so masculine. Overcompensate in a way. Yeah, exactly. We're doing it all. Then maybe that we can come together and have a bit more balance in our home lives. I don't know.
0: I love that. Yeah. I love the way you describe it so much because I think that's something that a lot of times we aren't aware of, but is such a truth. Like we don't think of women being so deep in their masculine, especially in this period of motherhood. It is a very like task oriented doing fire. Like it is very like in your masculine energy. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I think it a lot of times makes it so that it's just too much of the masculine in our society Mm -hmm. as a whole. I love yeah. that. The way well, you and I also it.
1: see, you're right. I think it's too much. I think it's necessary, right? Because to your point, this part of motherhood actually does require that energy. Mm-hmm. But what, and what I've seen is that I think a lot of times, to your point, um, Amanda, is that like because we haven't allowed our men to step into their feminine, they're not skilled at it, right? So mm-hmm. what happens is we step into that masculine, which is necessary, and I almost see them retreat. Mm -hmm. And so they just retreat because they actually don't know how to meet it with more feminine. They just back off. And so they back off, which in their minds maybe is allowing us to step in, but actually it just breeds resentment in us because then we feel like they're just giving us more.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of, I think one of the most beautiful feminine qualities is compassion. And Mm -hmm. I think that as new mothers, rightfully so, we're, we're, we've bonded with this baby. We, you know, we spend many more hours with our, our new baby purely because we're feeding it. Right. But when our partner steps in and, and tries to do something or take care of the baby, I don't know if we have enough compassion mm-hmm. for them in their journey to allow them to do it their way, experience it, it their way, create the bond that they need to do. We're very quick to, to sort of jump in and say, no, do it this way. Um, and so that maybe that compassion element is missing. I don't know. I was watching mm. an episode of This Is Us the other day and um, season four on Amazon Prime. <laughs> That's where we were watching it. I think it's on NBC there. And, um, and there was this scene where like, they were packing up the car and mm. Kate, the new mom, was, she had the baby and um, what's his name? the dad, um, he was like getting everything together and he forgot the monkey and oh my God, you forgot the monkey. How can you forget the baby's monkey? And it's just like, where's, where's the compassion? You know, it's,
0: um, Vanessa's so, smiling from ear to <laughs> ear. Like her smile is so big right now. <laughs> You're going through all of this right now.
2: Yes, um, <laughs>
1: I'm like, where's the damn monkey? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. How could yeah. you forget the monkey? <laughs> Yeah,
0: but I think, you know, you bring a really interesting, I feel like this is like, and maybe it's because I was just watching um, Red Table Talk. So Will Smith and um, Jada Pinkett Smith are really alive for me right now. But um, Will Smith was talking about A little bit of what you're saying how he was like you know i feel like society really like fathers have a hard time being fathers right Mm -hmm. and they get a lot of like flack for like the ways that they aren't showing up he was saying like especially in the black community fathers get a really hard time and he was like but he's like i gotta speak to the mothers here a little bit like Mm -hmm. these kids are yours we get it they come from your body they will always be yours but you guys gotta be like you gotta let us in, right? You gotta let us yeah. be fathers. And you sort of have to take the lead on that. And you have to sort of give us space that we're not gonna do things the way that you would do them. We're not able to sort of nurture in the way that you would, but we are so necessary, you know? And mm-hmm. for me, like I, I really I I'm kind of needed to hear it, the way yeah. that he sort of broke it down. And I think you know, um, I similarly am co-parenting right now and, and in that space of just like, I need to allow him to parent the way that he, he parents, and it's not going to be the way that I do a lot of things. And that's actually really necessary and really okay.
2: Yeah. It's good for the children as well, because they get right. to, they get to experience all of it.
0: Darren, we
2: co-parent 50-50, right? And when the girls are with them, they are absolutely f- better than fine right Mm -hmm. they are thriving and i i still carry a bit more of like you know just things right like shoes and clothes and gifts whatever but when they are with him he does everything Mm -hmm. and they are happy and thriving so
1: they can do it you know
0: we have to let them Yeah. yeah yeah
1: Yeah. And it's um, one of the other things that I I read when, you you know, you sent us over your write-up is this idea of us breaking out of these like kind of toxic family dynamics that I think we get ourselves into. And I feel like this is actually part of that.
0: You know, and a lot of, I think what Vanessa and I like to do and um, the reason we wanted to sort of do this podcast was like normalizing the struggles, right? So um, co-parenting works really well now, it sounds like, but was it, were there moments where it was more challenging than it is now?
2: You know, I think that with the girls, when when we first started to do our split, do the separation, Mm -hmm. because he and I um, were so certain that this was the right thing, that we thought that surely they will see that this is the right thing and they will Mm -hmm. just be fine. Um, So I think one of the things that we might have missed, particularly me, um, was that they, they were fine, they were, but um, it was a big change. And mm-hmm. I think that I expected a little bit too much from them just mm-hmm. because we knew it was right. They didn't know it was right. Like all they saw was that their, every, every, all of their structure and their safety that they had known was now being shifted. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, if I could sort of go back and, and do that part again, I would just be a little bit more aware about um, how I was feeling and not project my feelings onto them because they, they were having their own experiences. But for the most part, between the, him, and, him and I, it, it was pretty good, you mm-hmm. know? And I couldn't honestly have asked for a better partner. Um, he was very understanding, very supportive. The, the fact that I then moved on to a same-sex relationship didn't bother him at all. And I just feel incredibly grateful, Mm. this person who just continued to show up. And I guess that is proof that it was right, because he was able to continue to show up. You know, he allowed his ego to be put aside and just be there for the girls. You know, Mm -hmm. that was the journey for us. It didn't, Mm -hmm. money didn't matter. Lifestyle didn't matter. We all, we both knew that all of that was going to change. Mm -hmm. We oftentimes get really caught up in the finances and who gets what and who's going to have more care over the children. But really, if you just put that aside and truly put them first, everything's going to change. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be living the same lifestyle. You're not going to have the same financial security. If we can accept that and just say, none of that matters right now, Mm -hmm. what matters is that we gracefully come together to remain a family, you know, two homes, one family for our children.
0: Yeah. I love that so much. And I really appreciate you speaking to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like my co-parent and I have conversations quite often. We are both still, um, you know, he's my best friend. And I think we, Mm. we talk about how important it is for people to have models around this does not need to mean that we are not still a family. This does not need to mean that the kids are not gonna be okay. We really are sort of like invested in this idea that if we're okay, if there is still so much love here, that is what will make him okay. <laughs> like he will be okay with this if we are okay with this. Um, and I, I just think it's really important that people have models, um, you know, cause I think so often like our, our egos or our ideas around how society is going to experience this breakup Mm. keep people sort of dug in in resistance versus sort of allowing for okay this is the truth of what's happening so how are we going to sort of allow this to evolve as it is anyway versus sort of that resistance and that that fighting that happens I think when a lot of times it doesn't really have anything to do with what the truth is between us but what we think society is going to experience around this Mm -hmm. you know
2: you're so right. You're so right. I, I had that, that thought as well. Like when, mm. when we were making this decision, I, I thought, but I don't know any parents who are separated or divorced. Yes. Why? I, I'm going to be the only one. You know, I was judging myself because I didn't know anyone else rather totally. than thinking, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. We, we see it as such a failure, don't we?
0: Mm.
1: And so many times when I work with people who are Separating or separated and have children. It's so hard for us to see outside of ourselves and see outside of our own pain or mm. our own anger or our own hurt or betrayal or whatever it is that we're going through, and see the child. Mm. As to your point, putting that first and foremost. And it's not to minimize the pain that you're going through, but you know this this being that you've brought into this world. Uh, can you put them first, at least for now, until you can go and address your own pain? And and because what happens is, you know, by by not doing it that way, we end up actually not on purpose, but we end up basically giving them our pain to carry. Mm-hmm. We basically mm-hmm. hand it over to our children, um, and and that's so unfair. And I see so much damage caused uh, by that in, in in separating parents that you know do that daily.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's got to be something underneath it all that we still love about our partner or right. our ex partner yeah and and if we can find it in us to nurture that element you know the 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 love as the romantic love might have gone away or there might be hurt because of betrayal or mm-hmm. for whatever reason but if we could bring that compassion in right and and just try to really find that um that fundamental care for this other human being who you've had a child with Mm -hmm. and just allow that to take you through until, like you said, we can then address our pain Mm -hmm. and start the
0: healing. I love that. You had this post the other day, Amanda, that I just thought was so beautiful, where you're sort of speaking to the complexity of your daughter's emotions and how you sort of, you know, tend to yourself in riding the waves of what's coming up for her. And I, you know, I think there's not a parent in the world that can't relate to what you were speaking to. And that so much of the time we want to sort of shut down whatever's happening for them because it's Mm -hmm. really uncomfortable for us. Mm. Often I think because, you know, we sort of were conditioned to shut down what is happening within us and witnessing it in them, the complexity of their emotions when they're these little beings reminds us of what we haven't been allowed to feel. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think so much of the time our work is, can I tend to myself as they're sort of feeling a lot of feelings and not need to shut them down? I just thought the way that you described it was so beautiful.
2: Mm, thank you. As soon as you start to understand the age of the child that you have, they've <laughs> grown into a different age um, and they're, to, they're never the same, right? If you have four children, they'll never present to you the same as the other child. so it's, um it is truly the most difficult.
1: Job in the world, Hmm. being a parent. Can you speak to that? You know, what I was thinking as I was listening to you, Danae, is for somebody who obviously didn't read that post, right? Or or maybe is hearing this and thinking, like, how do I do that? How do I attend to myself when you know this being is in their emotions? Because part of me also is wondering, is it is it both that to your point, Danae, you know, maybe I wasn't allowed and so I'm shutting it down because I wasn't allowed, and also is part of it like I want to shut it down because I almost want to fix. I want to caretake. Mm. I want to solve this for them in some way. Um, Because not that I'm there yet, she's still too young, but I can already foresee that that's going to be one of my struggles, right? Is because I am the... Registered codependent in this situation that I am gonna be the one that wants to like take that suffering from her I've got it. Don't worry about it. I'll handle it Um, And so I imagine a lot of people can resonate with that, too And I'm curious to know, you know with all the tools and you teach children and this is kind of your work Amanda What would you say to somebody? um, About this idea of tending to yourself first?
2: I think that so When we're in a situation that is like triggering us or activating us or emotions are high and um, the patience is running thin for whatever reason, I think that is where the work needs to happen. Like what is going on in my life and in my world to where I'm reacting as big as they are? Like why, why am I not able to just pause hold a space for them to feel what they need to feel. They're going to get through it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because first of all we we want it to stop. We don't understand why they can't just stop.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: when we're laughing, I mean if if we're laughing and something is hilarious, how hard is it to just stop yourself? <laughs> if someone came over while you were in the middle of having like the most amazing, joyful experience laughing and said and told you to just stop. That would be mm-hmm. really hard, wouldn't it? And it's, it's the same thing for a child who's experiencing anger or frustration or upset. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can't just stop, but we sit there and we're like, just stop. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So what, what's going on in our world, what's going on in in our immediate life or our past life from childhood to make us want to react the way Mm -hmm. we are in that situation. And when we become aware of that, I think it helps us to just have that moment of pause. And when we have that moment of pause, clarity comes in. That's Mm -hmm. really all it takes. And you might have to have 20 moments of pause while they are having their reaction yet last night or whenever my, my eldest, she's seven, when she was having this moment, it went on for an hour, you know, and I must've had to come into my, my, pause moment 20 times and I could feel myself wanting to take it down another path Mm -hmm. because those thoughts come in like, this can't be right, right? What she's doing can't be right Mm. because I, I've been told that this isn't right. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I wasn't able to experience it as a child. If I reacted, it got shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes, even as adults, when we have these reactions, Either we shut it down ourselves or our emotions, our sadness turns into anger so quickly that we don't even recognize it's sadness.
1: Right.
2: Mm. It's just becoming so crystal clear on who you are and your past and where it's brought you to this now moment, I think. Oh.
0: Yeah, I love the way you describe it in terms of like how hard it would be to shut down your laughter. I've never heard someone sort of describe it in that way, but that's so powerful to me. And I think, you know, what you're speaking to just really sort of brings it back to that element of self-compassion because here's the thing as parents, we're not going to do it perfectly. You know, we're going to have moments where it's like, I needed to shut that down. And I can't, like, I certainly have moments with my three-year-old where I have to circle back and be like, you know what? Mommy, sorry, I was Mm -hmm. frustrated. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it is what it is, right? Like, we have had a lot of conditioning for our entire lives that has taught us that, to your point, like, something must be wrong if my child is in these big emotions, right? With
1: them, with me, with the situation. yeah. Yeah, all
0: of it.
2: All of it. And if people are around and watching, oh my God, the the shame and the embarrassment,
0: right? Right. That's so, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is some of the moments when it's the most difficult to do what you're speaking to. Um, My my co parent and I were having this conversation the other day about, like, you know, the embarrassment of him having a tantrum out in public in front of other people. And I was like, I don't care who is watching (laughs) the tantrum. Like, he's three, he has a tantrum. But I think then our sort of societal pressures of like you should have a well behaved child who listens who you know well
1: because i know you're co-parent i'm also imagining like <laughs> i know that i would be him in the situation like the mortification right when you're taught to like this is not what you do. This is not right. what good girls and boys do. And you know what? You're going to listen to your parent, whether you like it or not, even if I have to instill the fear of God into you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like That is how I was brought up. All I needed Same. was like a look and it was totally. like, it, and that was it, right? It was shut down. There was no question. <laughs> there was no conversation. So. And me too, but I feel like, right. and this is my struggle,
0: a little bit similar to what you were saying. You're better me. with it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I feel like I can sometimes swing in the, like what Amanda was saying in the beginning. I yeah. want to like be so like on the other end of the spectrum to what yeah. I was raised, with that I'm like, yeah.
1: it's all fine. Let them live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a balance sometimes with that too. You know? <laughs> cause yeah, cause then yeah. you got a kid that's like cl- literally climbing up the walls. And like, okay,
0: Slapping you upside the head. <laughs> <laughs> totally.
2: Yeah. That is actually one of the things that I try to teach with my young students right is um when we're exploring our feelings and talking about especially with boys right and talking about our range of emotions and feeling sad and crying is is that um well no one tells us not to laugh and be happy so why do people tell us it's okay don't be sad right Mm -hmm. and we had this moment just yesterday in my little my little six-year-old um, students, we were doing yoga, and I have to go around and spray the mats, right, and wipe them down because of the virus. And um, mm. and one of the little boys started wiping down one of the mats that the other little boy wanted to wipe down. He got so upset, and I just unknowingly, right, it was the end of the day. One of the teachers came around and said, "Why are you upset about that? Don't be upset, you know that." but maybe we can say, okay, how did this make you feel? Mm-hmm. And he said, it made me feel sad. And I said, well, turn to your friend and tell him that, you know, mm-hmm. and he did. And his little friend said, I'm sorry. And it really can be that simple. Yeah. You know, if we just start to change our perspective, change our language and allow our children to just feel it all, you know, mm-hmm. especially our young boys, mm-hmm. I think that's a big, big, Way that we need to look at moving forward.
0: I love it. Amanda, will you speak to a little bit of the work that you do with Local Lab? This is one of the things I was telling Vanessa about that I'm so excited because I feel like, you know, our work in depth psychology, certainly Vanessa's work in terms of like transitions and that transition from maiden to motherhood that I think Mm -hmm. that you guys do a lot of work around. I'd love if you'd speak a little bit about what Local Lab's mission is and like what you, um, how you got into doing that work.
2: Yeah, so well, because I work with children, I do all of the social emotional work with children and then they go home and you just wanna make sure that that family home can support all of the work that you're doing with the children. And so we thought, well, Rachel, she's a writer, very gifted writer, but she's also a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher and she primarily works with adults. And so we thought, well, let's bring our skills together me as a nutritionist and a, and a mindfulness teacher and her as a meditation teacher and a yoga teacher and empower moms, right? Because it's that thing about the, the mother is she runs the family home. Nice. And, and so if she can mirror to her partner and if she can mirror to her children clarity, stability, and strength rather than victim, martyr, and overwhelm, then maybe we can start to change the dynamics in the family home. And if we can change the dynamics in the family home, we can change the dynamics in the community. And if we can Mm -hmm. do it in the community, it can reach out globally. And it's the ripple effect. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And we just see so many women, so many mothers suffering and turning to, turning to those external sources to help them cope, right? So coping mechanisms rather than toolkits. Mm -hmm. And so we just wanted to provide tools to help them um, regulate. And when you regulate, you can see, you have clarity with who you are, what you want, tune back into yourself and um, rather than cope and lose yourself even further. Mm -hmm. So that's basically what we do is we work with busy modern moms and give them tools to help, them, um, to help them tune inward and do some healing work rather than tuning out and lose themselves e- even more.
1: I know you said that you're doing an online, or you're hoping to finish your online course soon, but how can people who are not local to you work with you guys on this stuff?
2: Um, so uh, we're bringing our work online. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do online workshops. So tomorrow we're actually starting our life lab. So your life is your lab. Um, oh, nice. so- um, retreat, and um, it's four Sundays for mm-hmm. one hour where we're live, and we're doing it live this time. We might do recorded and send it out next time. But um, so we have a live meeting, and we kind of come on, and we do grounding movement. We kind of do a dharma talk, and we have a mm-hmm. teaching point. So our first, our first one is understanding the pause, mm-hmm. right? So what is that sacred pause, and how can you bring it into your life? And like our Dharma talk will be exactly what you just said to the, the journey from maiden to mother and how traumatic that is um, and how we lose ourselves in this journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also talking a little bit about the patriarchy and how they've um, defined what the role of a woman is and talking about divine femininity and what mm-hmm. that is just really inspiring women to see that um, there's actually so much depth to us
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: if, if we just start to see an ounce of that, tune into an ounce of that, then everything can change. Um, so we do online work and, um, we have like downloadable tools for them. And if they follow us on Instagram or they can visit our website, they can find out more about us. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's, that's where we're, we're kind of in the genesis of our business. So we're currently growing and um, yeah, we'd love everyone to just come our way so we can share the message and just continue to empower women. I want to take the class tomorrow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And I love that it's an hour, which feels like yeah, really doable, doable for busy moms, mm. right? Like that's, that's, that's it. Yeah.
2: It's one hour. And then we, we support them throughout the week. So we give them journal prompts, self-care tips. We give mm. them content by experts in the wellness industry to listen to. And yeah,
0: things like that. Yeah. I feel like we could just talk to you all day. <laughs> You're just I know, it's been
2: so amazing <laughs> talking to you guys. Well, we may
0: have to have you come back again and um, do another one of these conversations with us, but we're going to do our little lightning round of questions with you. Before oh, we let okay. you go. Um, so the first question that we ask all of our guests is what breaks your heart?
2: Suffering, especially amongst children what brings you a state of flow music so that's oh man it's it's everything to me i just um you know it's it's such an emotive experience for me and it just helps me flow playing music everything. hearing
0: music both
2: yeah listening to music tori amos oh. just gonna <laughs> drop her name there
0: that's right love it and then what's your favorite food amanda
2: well, you know, I'm third-generation Lebanese American, so I, um, I grew up with authentic Lebanese cuisine, and yeah. my favorite food is probably tabouleh. Oh. Nice. Mm.
1: I think I might go get lemonade for one (laughs) too. I'm hungry.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. You know, Amanda, I just, I feel like you are such a gift. Your content is just so inspiring and powerful. And I'm just so glad that we crossed paths and that I got this opportunity to know you. And so thank you for coming on so that my friend Vanessa can meet you. And um, just thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you
2: as well. I feel the same way about you, Danae, and I'm gonna come find you, Vanessa. I think. So I'm gonna come find you too. Yeah, soon. <laughs> I'm gonna come coming
1: after you. <laughs>
2: cool. Excellent. Yeah. Thank, thank, thank you, so Danae much, and Vanessa.
1: Yeah. All right. All right. We'll see you soon. Okay. Sure. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan